welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Want to own your own company and have a positive impact on the world? Home efficiency represents a great opportunity to do both. Follow a successful model, but pay no franchise fees and no royalties. Just visit homeefficiency.com to learn more about our white label business opportunity and start the next leg of your journey as a climate champion. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO and Director of Clean Technica. And today we have Sam Spaforth, who's the CEO of Clean Fuels Ohio. Hope I got that right. And also one of the leads on Drive Electric USA, a big initiative across several states that I have been helping out with in a minor role, but Sam has been doing a tremendous amount of work with. So we're going to focus a bit on the US EV market today, but then quickly lead into this Drive Electric USA initiative and where it's going. So just to start off, Sam, maybe you, you could just give us a little bit of background of when you got into electric vehicles and how? Sure. Well, first of all, Zach, thank you very much for the opportunity to be be on your show. Really appreciate that. Uh, I've been running uh, Clean Fields Ohio for about 19 years, and through that time, we're uh, I, I should just just for context probably say that we're a a designated uh, de- U.S. Department of Energy Clean Cities Coalition, and then we're also a nonprofit organization that that serves the entire state of Ohio. And our mission is focused on very broadly on sustainable transportation and, and, and taking kind of an economic development approach to that challenge also. So we, so we do, as a, as, a, as a clean cities coalition, we do embrace a broad portfolio of clean and advanced transportation strategies. And so those include, you know, just reducing vehicle miles traveled. Certainly electric vehicles are a very, very, very big piece of this now. But we also do focus on uh, renewable natural gas, renewable propane, biofuels, uh, hydrogen, you know, other things like that. So it's a pretty broad approach. But in terms of electric vehicles, we've been at it for a pretty long time. We had a, a large recovery act grant back in 2009 from the U.S. Department of Energy that really allowed us to, to launch into a lot of work on electrification. At that time, we were able to deploy a, a number of, at that time, level two charging stations in various locations across Ohio. We funded some fleet electric vehicle deployments and very early deployments of electric vehicles and fleets. And then from there, we we also had funding from the DOE to conduct a statewide plan, kind of a study, and to develop a plan around electrification. That was 2013-2014. And then in 2016, we launched our Drive Electric Ohio program. Uh, that's, so that's been going about five years. And that really takes a comprehensive approach to overcoming various market barriers to uh, EVs uh, in Ohio. And so, you know, we're working to uh, engage utilities, working to educate consumers through a variety of strategies. We innovated a model that involves creating chapters, locally based chapters of electric vehicle owners that are more advocacy, more kind of external facing advocacy engagement. Uh, kind of work that, that these chapters do. I mentioned utilities as well. We do work on state and local policy education. We do work around advising on EV charging infrastructure planning at various levels. We engage car dealers 
in the market, and then we do work with fleets. So that those are the kind of, and then we, uh, as part of all of that, kind of running through all of it, we are very focused on equity in terms of access to clean transportation and, and that kind of, you know, how that manifests in various ways in terms of access to residential charging, access to other forms of EV charging, and then access to clean mobility through car sharing, ride sharing, transit, and other means there. Very cool. And, you know, I, I don't know, I, we started off talking about the Drive Electric USA initiative, and we'll get to that. But talking to you, I just realized you had a very deep and broad understanding of the market and a great communication style, very, very clear. So I wanted to start off just with a question, what you see as the stage of the US EV market right now, how you how you view the market at the moment, and how you view it evolving in the next one to five years, what's your kind of thoughts, overview thoughts on those? Well, you know, I see a lot of positives, mostly. I mean, I also see, you know, there are some significant challenges in front of us, but I think we're, I mean, we've been hearing for some time now about this anticipated ramping up of the U.S. market. You know, obviously we've seen different states and different places around the country at different stages in that market ramp up, that market acceleration. But, you know, in, in places like Ohio and the Midwest, which are, have not been at the leading edge of that, you know, we are, we are really seeing a ramp up. I think, uh, you know, you, you and, and listeners may have, may have seen some of the news that the month of February of this year, we saw an actual doubling of EV sales during the month of February 2021. Despite the pandemic, compared to the February 2020 sales numbers, so you know numbers like that are very encouraging. Uh, I think right now EV sales as a percentage of overall market share in the U.S. is about 3.5 percent. So again, pretty pretty low in the in the grander scheme of things. But with with all the new models coming, we're seeing increasing market shares for the non-Tesla brands, if you will. And that's that's also, I would say, encouraging. I mean, you know, we're very supportive of, of, of all the OEMs, including Tesla, but having that diversification of models, et cetera, I think is very, very healthy for the market. We're beginning to see that. So I think we're, we're now seeing this kind of predicted, you know, ex- acceleration of that demand. And it's, and it's very, very encouraging to see. Yeah. I love seeing the what I consider to be very exciting new electric models. But then there's the concern about the production capacity and and um, supply and and then you know the overall sales. So, which I just published an article today about Ford Mustang Mach E has wait times of three and a half to six months because there's quite a lot of demand it seems, which is great. But at the same time, it, the first year of production, Ford's going to be producing fifty thousand units, and I've seen reported at thirty thousand or destined for Europe and 20,000 for the US. So it's a small number still. Of course, it's the very early stages with the Model 3, you know, there's all the hype around production hell. Ford also has to slowly get production up. So, you know, you can't expect to, to, to be full scale out of the box, but I'm definitely very curious and eager to see how demand grows and supply grows. But I, I, I love that you are so focused on trying to help the other, the, the whole market rise. And one part of that is Drive Electric USA. So let's jump into it. What is Drive Electric USA? 
and who came up with the great name? Because I really like the the name. Too. <laughs> well, thanks. That that name was I don't I'm not exactly sure who came up with it. Uh, it's a the we're a co lead on that, as I said, and the other co lead is East Tennessee Clean Fuels. And so I think between the two of us, and 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 I think as part of the conversation that we had with with our colleagues that are involved in in other states, uh, you know, we brainstormed that 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 name. And I would agree. I, I think it's a really strong name and a, you know, and a really strong brand. This is a project which is funded by the U.S. Department of Energy. And the purpose of it really is, our vision of it was to, to take our drive electric Ohio program, you know, in a state like Ohio, which again is not a, has not been on the leading edge of the EV market nationally, and, and look at at other states uh, that are that are also generally not on that leading edge, uh, generally states that are in, are in the middle of the country, which really need uh, kind of support and focus and, and some additional attention to, to really, uh, you know, accelerate those markets. So ultimately, it was 14 states uh, that are that are part of this at this point. Uh, those are the states uh, that are funded. And by states, I guess I should uh, clarify and say the the leads in each of these states are the clean cities coalitions that are you know that are that are in those states and the the idea was to kind of take our drive electric Ohio program uh, along with the drive electric Tennessee program which is also uh, has been around for not as not as long as ours but still for a couple of years a very strong effort there. And to and to just replicate those, to replicate those as a model of a comprehensive approach to really addressing market barriers across the board. So, just like I was explaining about our Drive Electric Ohio program, we have the fact that there's a coherent brand, there's a strong con- consumer education component that's spearheaded by these grassroots chapters in various locations. There's an effort to engage utilities and utility regulators. There's an effort to address the challenge of charging infrastructure and do planning, definitely around uh, highway corridors, where we obviously need more infrastructure for the for the motoring public. But in addition to that, planning at the regional level, particularly with shared mobility services and fleets in mind, and then finally planning, which is critical, we feel, at the community level to, uh, to identify those sticky market barriers around residential charging where people just don't have access to a plug, workplace charging, and then other, other locations in communities. So we feel that the planning at the, uh, all three of those levels is really important to, to address various market barriers. Then to engage in policy work at the state level and also local level, there's a lot that local governments can do in terms of permitting processes and building codes and right, you know, right to charge, you know, kind of policies that, that local governments need to attend to. Then there's a dealer outreach component, and then finally a fleet electrification component. So again, taking the, taking the comprehensive approach, and we are hopeful that although it's, it's only just the 14 states right now that are involved, we're hopeful that it's a brand that is powerful enough and a, and a concept uh, that is comprehensive and powerful enough to be expanded over time to, you know, many other states around the country. Mm-hmm. Maybe 51 in total. That would be cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you've laid it out very nicely. Just a couple of questions, the time frame on it again, and 
you, I think you talked about all the different components, but you know, I'm on several of these working groups. What are, what are the different, what's the list of the working groups and sort of the vision that for, for each of these working groups? Yeah, the working groups map out exactly to the areas of focus that I mentioned. So there's a overall kind of uh, statewide initiative and branding and communications group. There's a utility regulator group. There's a, well, actually the Second working group is the is the consumer outreach and grassroots chapters group. The utility and regulator group is number three. Number four is charging. Number five is policy. Uh, number six is dealers. And number seven is fleets. And I should mention that we deliberately did not create a separate working group around equity because what we're also very intent on doing and working with partners to, to help us do is to embed equity in every single one of those working groups and every single one of those kind of areas of focus for the, for the project overall. Yeah, that's a nice thing. It was good that you didn't say because you don't care about equity. That would have been a bad, bad way to go with that. No, it's, I think it's really critical to have it not tucked away in a corner that you talk about for five minutes, but have it central to all of those discussions. So it's really, Mm -hmm. that was a nice thing to see. And so I think you, I think it's a three-year is a three-year grant? Oh, yeah, that's that's right. right. You asked me how long. Yeah, it, it's three years and it kicked off. Well, this the ramping up kind of planning, kind of ramping up phase started um, in Q4 of 2020. And it runs uh, through, I think it runs through Q4 of 2023. And it is over three years. Yeah. And so then what's your, at that point, at the end of 2023, what's your sort of ideal you know, takeaway, what's your, you know, you, you, you've gotten there and you've said, great, we did it. We, we did exactly what, what we wanted. What would that be? What would that look like? I think, I mean, minimally it, it needs to be that we, that we have strong state initiatives and at least in the 14 states that are self-sustaining initiatives that are, you know, that have made progress around, you know, demonstrable progress in all of these areas that I just mentioned. And that we have a kind of a, as we're calling it, a replication playbook where, you know, and, and you asked also about the role of these different advisory groups within, of, of which you are a member. We really um, appreciate your your involvement in the, um, in the project, should, Zach. I should say I do very little. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly <laughs> observing and, you know, I try to u- offer a useful comment from here, time to time, but, but I am on several. So it's interesting to, to be on different groups and see how the discussions are going. And, but uh, yeah, I'll let you continue, but I'll just say that there's dozens of really highly engaged, motivated leaders at each of the, on each of these from different states and it's a uh, it's uplifting and and inspiring and and fun to just see these different leaders who are like on the ground making stuff happen. A lot of them, uh, you know, but you know, one, I, I guess you know, everyone from Britta Gross who is used to work at, as an EV lead at GM. I remember being at a conference with her several years ago mm-hmm. when the Bolt was ready to come out and or it was just coming out, and, and now is at RMI previously Rocky Mountain Institute. And then you've got the, the clean cities people. You've got people from, from uh, other nonprofits. You've got people from auto, uh, the auto business, from utility business. So it's a really interesting, diverse group of people who are, you know, and at this point, feeling things out to see like, you know, how do we mesh? How do we make progress? But, um, but yeah, keep going on what, what you were saying. I just wanted to give credit to the, 
the, the people who are really making it happen, not, 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 uh, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a really, it's a, it's a great group effort and we have a great set of industry partners on this uh, project advisory committee and then folks with a lot of expertise. They're really helping, helping all of us, helping the, like, like you mentioned, the, 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 the different uh, people and organizations in, in the clean cities uh, organizations that are providing some leadership on the ground at the at the state level, and so we're really trying to you know soak up as much and learn as much, and then you really use a lot of of that to develop guidance materials. So then you know guides materials that'll help the leads in the fourteen states, you know, and that that includes us too. I mean, we're we you know we continue in Ohio to just learn all the time about best practices and so forth. You know, but you know, things that will help us advance things along in, in, you know, in all these areas. And then, you know, again, have a kind of a replication playbook based upon the guidance that's being provided, but then also the experience that will be gained over the next uh, two and a half to three years in terms of what works, what doesn't work, you know, what, what are the lessons learned? What are the emerge, sort of these best practices that are constantly evolving and emerging in, you know, you know, um, um, in these markets? And I, I think aspirationally, we would hope that the strength of the concept and the strength of the brand of Drive Electric Ohio would attract other, other states. And then we can, we can leverage, you know, I don't know about additional funding from the U.S. Department of Energy, perhaps, you know, we can have those conversations, but also to leverage some additional support from private foundations, from industry, from, you know, other, other sources of funding that could really help, you know, create a coherent national brand, a coherent national strategy that, you know, where there is some commonality, but then also where there is a lot of ability to do some very deep and effective, very, you know, market, specific market oriented work, you know, because what's going to work in Alabama, which is one of our states, isn't going to be the same thing that would work in Colorado or Pennsylvania. And we you know, need to understand what it's going to take in all sorts of different markets in order to make progress. Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, you, you can't favor one child over the other, but I am curious, what three things would you say you'd be most enthusiastic to see happen in the country to accelerate EV adoption, uh, whether policy-wise or industry-wise, I'll give you a moment to think about. It. I'll talk a moment longer unless you're ready. But <laughs> what what top three kind of dream actions? If of course within the realm of reality. Um, Boy, that's that's a really good question, Zach. I mean, I we think can, yeah, we can come back to it if you want, and I'll ask you another one while you think about it. If there's there's been a push to put EV taxes and fees in certain states. Certain states are trying to get electric vehicle owners to pay monthly fees of anywhere from $30 to $200 or something. I've, I'm seeing this argument. It seems like there's a possibly an astroturfing campaign because I'm seeing this argument made repeatedly or it's just caught on that EV owners don't pay their fair share of the maintaining roads. Uh, they don't pay any gas taxes, so they, have to, they should be paying fees. Uh, what's, uh, you know, we, I don't think we need to focus on here on how, how to, why that's wrong. Uh, you know, I, we, we, you, you can mention that a bit, but I'm curious how you think we do, deal with this issue of this rising push. Like, how do you think we should p- 
push back or kind of try to dissolve this this effort? Yeah, I mean, one, I mean, I think that the messaging and the approach on that was probably going to differ depending on states. In, in, in our part of the country, and we, we are a state, unfortunately, that has one of these higher fees, and we are, were unsuccessful in the last uh, transportation budget in, in getting those fees rolled back. We got a lot of support within one of the legislative chambers, but then we ultimately were not successful. But we're not going to give up on that. We are ultimately going to keep working at it. And the messaging point that seems to be the most effective for us is to, to really help policymakers understand that EVs definitely need to help support the roads. And we've, we've had a position for years that is in support of, of EVs paying their, paying their fair share but it's the, the level of fee and even the fee mechanism itself is very regressive uh, and is a market, is, is unfair. It penalizes low and moderate income people, you know, and it keeps them, or at least it discourages them from being in, in this market. And that's a problem, it's not fair. And, and by the mechanism, I think we ultimately need to evolve towards, you know, something that would be a more of a pay as you go mechanism, you know, VMT basis of, of taxation has been talked about. There's other ways of going about it with utility taxes, et cetera, but we need to find that. And then for us, the other part of it is the, is the way it discourages and sends a very negative signal in terms of our economic future in a state like Ohio, which is a very auto manufacturing heavy state. You know, We need to show in a state like Ohio that we are embracing the future. We are embracing advanced auto manufacturing. And fees like this send a message to those that would be creating jobs, you know, you know, in in our state that we're not friendly to the future. We're not friendly to, to um, innovation and progress. So those are some of the things that we've um, that that we've been working to argue. Yeah. And I mean the the issue that drives me a little nuts is there are these huge social social costs, uh, externalities, economic costs that we are not accounting for adequately. So while we're not accounting for them, it doesn't make sense to, to go ahead and add more costs on to uh, non, non-gas options. And all, I mean, frankly, I, I was in grad school for studying regional, plan, regional planning at UNC Chapel Hill almost 20 years ago. And this topic of gas taxes were not paying we're not covering the cost of roads and maintenance was a hot topic then and had long been a topic and the top the idea of vehicle miles you know change you know putting a fee on vehicle miles traveled and weight of vehicles was already like well thought out so it's a little disappointing that we're still haven't made any progress in 20 years but to start throwing taxes on evs seems counterproductive when we need to address other externalities and social costs that are not not being addressed it is yeah, it is. I, I guess I can I, I can take a stab at answering your other question about the about the top okay. three. Um, I mean, I think. I mean, in terms of things that you know, I mean, there's all sorts of things that you know, auto manufacturers can control. You know, things along those lines where we need to see. You know, we need to continue to see more investment. I think we're seeing some really positive signs in the U.S. market uh, where we're we had some real concerning signs for for some time. I mean, so I guess one would just be to continue to encourage the manufacturers, the OEMs, the, the suppliers, you know, even the EVSE, uh, the uh, using acronyms, the EV charging manufacturers to continue 
to make these investments in the, the technology it, itself and invest in the marketing of, of the vehicles. We have not seen yet. I mean, we've seen a little bit more, but we've not seen nearly enough investment in that marketing. So I think investment across the board, the technology, manufacturing capabilities, investing in, you know, in, in some cases, retooling some manufacturing to make sure that, you know, we're ready and, and workers are not being displaced. And then those it also investments in the kind of, you know, uh, media campaign, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that might be one. I don't know if it's the first one, but it's certainly one. Um, I think another one that's critical is to make sure that we're doing the kind of planning we need to do at all levels. And I mentioned this earlier that, you know, we, we certainly need EV charging infrastructure on highway corridors. You know, we need that because people, you know, aren't going to buy, you know, there's going to be uh, market confusion and, and resistance if people feel like, well, I can't get to Omaha. I can't get to, you know, I can't get 300 miles away. I can't get 800 miles away in, in this EV because I can't stop and charge it. Now we need to overcome those kind of barriers, but at least as important as that, I'd say as, as important as it's not more important, but as, as, as important as what hasn't been talked about enough, which is that that regional level of planning and investment. Really, you know, if we want the Ubers and the Lyfts and the local taxi companies and, and other kinds of shared, you know, van pools, et cetera, those kind of shared mobility services, if we want, you know, equitable access to clean tra transportation in all communities, rural, urban, et cetera, you know, we need to identify where charging infrastructure is needed to support that and we need to invest in it based on that sort of regional level planning, not just corridors. And then finally, you know, those investments are also very much needed at the community level. We need to, you know, you know, we need to know, you know, where do we need residential charging on street, you know, places where people are parking on the street, we need, you know, on street charging uh, at, at uh, multifamily residences. We need charging there. We need charging at workplaces as a, you know, if we can't manage to get the charging into the, into, into the residential areas in all cases, we need people to have access at the workplace. And it's an, it's an equity issue. And it's an it's an issue in terms of like making sure that that everybody's going to have access to uh, clean transportation, and we're going to be able to accelerate this this market. So so that's another one. And then, you know, th I mean, we we need supportive state policy. We need we need state policy that's that's going to you know focus on everything from workforce development to incentives for the vehicles themselves. You know, uh, we're we're looking very very hard right now at you know policy mechanisms like, as we're calling it here, a clean fuels policy, but but also known as kind of a low carbon fuel standard approach, because that's really an outcomes oriented approach that would reward electrification, uh, provide resources to support it, as well as you know we still believe that there's roles to be played, that, you know particularly when you talk about the you know heavier duty vehicles in the in the near term, at least, for other uh, low carbon options like renewable natural gas, and so we need that kind of that policy framework at the federal level, but also at at the various uh, state and local levels to uh, accelerate that and overcome those barriers. I was presenting at a conference, Renewable Cities Conference in Vancouver, 
I don't remember, 2013, 2015, something like this. And a professor from Simon Fraser University I talked with there and who gave a presentation there, they had determined that demand side initiatives for EVs just were not going to cut it, that you had to have requirements. You had to require automakers to produce a certain portion of electric vehicles, zero car, zero emissions vehicles, or else we just weren't going to meet our, uh, meet our targets for transportation on the climate redu- climate initiatives. And so I've thought about that quite, quite often in those several years, I think, because I was a big proponent of, you know, just the, the technology would attract people enough. And we've seen, you know, California has EV, high EV market share because they require it. Europe all of a sudden is through the roof on EV market share because they required it. Automakers had to try, had to sell, not just pretend to sell. China, similar. China sort of copied California. They actually consulted with California uh, people and just modified it a bit. So the places with the high market share just required it. They didn't say we're going to put in, well, they didn't just say, just say we're going to put in charging stations and give subsidies. They also said you have to do it or else you're going to get big fines. What's your take on how much states need to take that approach, need to join that, you know, the California group, strengthen it, the zero car, zero emissions, I'm, for, I'm skipping my head right, right at the moment, but yeah. you know, there's zero several zero. states. Zev, Zev mandates or the zero emission vehicle mandates. Yeah. Yeah. How important yeah. do you think that is? What do you see as far as progress on, you know, on that across the, 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 the markets in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I think anyone who looks at this, ha- you know, you you can't escape. I mean, just the what you were saying, you can't escape the conclusion that you know when you when you have these kind of mandates in place, you know, you see market uptake, and that's great for states that are in a position uh, politically and in in other ways to take those kind of actions. You know, that's not going to be every state. At least, it's not every state right now. I mean, I just, I just saw something uh, about an effort in, in Minnesota, um, you know, considered a, you know, let's say purple to blue state. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on who you talk to, but, you know, there's just, they're having a hard time. I mean, they're trying to do that and they're having a, a very difficult time right, right now in getting that and getting that done. Still may get it done, you know, but, but it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. So, I mean, I think it's good to have those kind of conversations with policymakers, you know, anywhere in any state where you can have those conversations. But I think it's also important to recognize that, you know, the thing that we really don't want is we don't want, and we have been able to avoid this in the the, um, electric vehicle space, is, is we do not want electric vehicles to become kind of another talking point in a, in a, in a culture war uh, conversation. You know, we don't want this to be like, well, you're trying to bring this blue state, California s- solution to our state. Well, hell no, you know, we're not going to take that. So I think we need to be sensitive to that. We, I mean, because I, I think that would then have the kind of rebounding and, and you know, outwardly negative effect, you know, number one, wouldn't get it done in, in, in certain states. Number two, would create a backlash, which would be very counterproductive. So, I mean, I'm one who favors, you know, an approach that's more, more outcomes oriented. You know, if we're trying to get to certain, and this is my personal view, you know, we're trying to get to certain carbon reduction 
targets that we need to reach. We need to reach certain targets by 2030, 2040 to 2050. Well, then let's set policy, which, you know, just again, I think we've seen a lot of success in the low carbon fuel standard approach where we, where, where we set those targets and we generate, you know, revenue in a system like that, that's going to, that we're, we'll be able to invest in, you know, infrastructure incentives, et cetera, to, to get us towards those kind of results. You know, we can continue to have the conversations and maybe at some point, you know, it'll be, it'll either be more doable to get more of those kind of mandates done in more states, or we'll, we'll, we'll find that we're at a certain point in the market where, you know, the, the attractiveness of the vehicles, the, maybe the availability of, of, of incentives, the, the, um, you know, widespread adoption of infrastructure, you know, those kind of, and then the marketing, which we just haven't seen, I mean, we just haven't seen nearly enough marketing of these vehicles anywhere. You know, you put all those things together and I'm, I'm frankly very confident that the technology is so much superior to, to the, you know, the internal combustion uh, technology that, that with the right combination of those factors that I just mentioned that, that we'll see the, the market respond. Yeah, we're a very sensitive uh, point culturally and politically right now. I think, I think even before this year, before January, I believe I saw that we were more polarized than any time since uh, the Civil War. So as a country, we are just in a very delicate, difficult place. And the funny thing with EVs is we do still have the, we have people pro EV on both sides of the political spectrum, even very politically involved people. And we also get attacks from both sides of the political spectrum so you have the you have both the the pro and the con there which is quite interesting considering almost no topic is untouched right now thank you for listening to clean tech talk join us next time to get your electric fix If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. (laughs) 